Hello, this is Tommy Peeler, and welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. Today we want to begin in Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is a lengthy psalm, and it's going to take a couple of podcasts to cover this. But Psalm 18 is generally designated as a royal psalm. Some of the things that are indicators of royal psalms are often the mention of the word king, the mention of the word anointed, and the mention of the word David. The last verse of Psalm 18 has all three of these key vocabulary words, king, anointed, and David. And these are often indicators of a royal psalm, and by that name, I mean a psalm that focuses on the human king. This psalm talks about the king, and it talks about how God is his strength, and how God is the one that he leans on for victory against his foes. There are some words of Psalm 118, or Psalm 18, that will remind us of Psalm 110, For the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. One of the interesting things about Psalm 18 is that Psalm 18 is repeated in 2 Samuel 22, or 2 Samuel 22 is repeated in Psalm 18. I'm not trying to make a statement about which was written first. But they this basic psalm this psalm basically there are some vocabulary changes appear in Second Samuel twenty two. Now that's interesting from several perspectives. That also helps us to look in Second Samuel twenty two at the context of that passage to help better appreciate this passage, and Lord willing, we'll do this before we finish Psalm 18. But another thing that does is that tells us um, how we should view, to me it's an indication of how we should view the headings to these various Psalms. If you look at the heading of Psalm 18, it is part of the text in Second Samuel 22 verse 1. The general consensus about the headings of the Psalms has been that these headings of the Psalms were written much later than the Psalm, and they are of limited historical value. I think the fact that the heading of Psalm 18 appears in the text of 2 Samuel 22 is an indication that that may be completely wrong. These headings may be of great historical value. I think it is better to look at this headings as something to be taken seriously. There are 13 or 14 of these psalms that have some kind of heading like this. But in this psalm, David will speak of how the Lord has given him victories from his enemies and from Saul. The concept of David's enemies will be frequently appearing in this psalm. But let's begin in verses 1 through 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress 
and my deliverer, my rock, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The text begins by saying, I love you, O Lord. Now, this word for love is actually a Hebrew word that is often used for womb. It is more frequently used of God's love for man than it is man's love for God. It is used, for example, in Psalm 103, verse 13, to talk about God's compassion for us. But here it is used to express the psalmist's love for God. It is very rare for the Psalms to begin with a statement of love for God. Psalm 116 does, but it's rare. Usually, if they begin with a reference to God, it is taking refuge in God or trusting in God. But here, the writer says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. As he has been delivered from his foes, as he has been delivered from Saul, he burst forth in praise and says, I love you, O Lord. By the way, that passage has no equivalent in 2 Samuel 22. In verse 1, and in verses 1 and 2, he uses the possessive pronoun my, I believe, nine times to speak of what the Lord is to him. The Lord is his strength, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer, his God, his rock, his shield, the horn of his salvation, his stronghold. Now, There are two different words for rock used in this passage. The first word that is used for rock in the New American Standard Bible in uh, Psalm 18, verse 2, is a word that's used in Judges 15 three times. Samson has destroyed the Philistines. He struck the Philistines, destroyed several of them, and he goes to hide in the rock of Atam. In Judges 15, verse 8, verse 11, verse 13. And apparently, after he has done this destructive act, this rock is a place where he can find safety and security. And that is a good description of what God is to David. He is a place where he finds security and shelter and salvation from his problems. He is David's strength, his rock, his fortress, his deliverer. He is all of these things. Now, all of these things are worthy of our attention, worthy of more attention than we're going to get to give them. But just as God is all these things to David, God wants to be all these things to us. And David says in verse 3, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. This idea of calling upon the Lord will also come up in verse 6 and often 
in the Psalms. But verses 1 through 3, he's praising God. He's praising God for all God is to him and how God has delivered him. Verses 4 through 6 describe the crisis that he was in. He was not beset by minor problems, but he faced a life and death struggle. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help. He heard my cry out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. The cords of death encompassed him. The terrors of ungodliness terrify him. The cords of Sheol surround him. The snares of death confronted him. This same kind of language is used in Psalm 116, verses 3 and 4. David is poetically but graphically portraying how death has its tentacles around him and is dragging him down to Sheol. It's as if David is in battle and he faces a certain death in conflict. I have heard of soldiers who were going into dangerous battles who wrote in their diary, that I will die tomorrow. David is in a circumstance that is that dangerous. And yet, when he is in that distress, in verse 6, he called to the Lord. He cried for help. And the Lord heard. And his prayer came to the ears of of the Lord. The word called the first time, uh, the word called in my distress, I called to the Lord, is the same word from verse 3. But the second time, I cried to my God for help. That word used, a different word, is used twice in this verse. It will be used later in verse 41. And we want to call attention to that when it comes. But my main point here is that David has called out and cried out in the midst of this distress. And the Lord has answered him. So he expresses what the Lord is to him in verses 1 through 3. He describes the crisis from which God delivered him in verses 4 through 6. And then in verses 7 through 15, the Bible is going to describe the Lord's dramatic intervention to come to the aid of his people. There is no mention of I here. There is no mention of uh, the writers. Uh, The writer does not mention himself. There's only a passing reference to his opponents. The focus is on God. I don't know if I stated that correctly, but the focus of verses 7 through 15 is directly on God. 
And God is described as dramatic, in dramatic terms as co- causing an upheaval in all of creation and nature by his appearance. The earth will shake, the foundations will tremble, the mountains will shake. All nature will be turned upside down by this appearance of the Lord. Similar language to this is used in passages like Micah 1 in verse 4, Nahum 1 in verses 2 through 8, Isaiah 30 verse 27, in Judges 5 verses 4 and 5, in Exodus 19 verses 16 through 19, when the Lord comes down on Mount Sinai, this literally happens as the mountains shake and the smoke goes up like the smoke of a furnace. It is an overwhelming sight. It's an overwhelming sight. But listen to these words and stand in awe of God. In verse 7, the earth stood and quaked. The foundations of the mountains were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went out of his nostrils and fire came down. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed thick clouds, hailstones, and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered lightnings and lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare. And at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, This language tells us how awesome and majestic and glorious our God is. It is interesting that this section uses language that Canaanites and other people around Israel would have used in description of their gods. For example... Baal was viewed in the ancient Near East as a rider on the clouds. But the Bible tells us in verse 10, it is Israel's God. It is David's God, the Lord Yahweh, who rode upon a cherub and flew, who sped upon the wings of the wind. Baal was also believed to be the god of thunder and storm. And yet in verse 13, the Bible says, The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice. Hellstones and coals of fire, He sent arrows of lightning. It is not Baal who controls the storm. It is Yahweh who controls the storm. It is David's God who controls the storm. As Psalm 29 will vividly, set forth 
when God bowed the heavens and came down, a similar expression is used in Psalm 144, verses 5 through 8. And there, when God bows the heavens and comes down, it is to bring judgment upon those who are wicked, and it is to rescue and deliver those who are righteous. This is the circumstance in this psalm. When God bows the heavens and comes down, it is an expression of His anger, according to verse 7 of Psalm 18. It's an expression of His wrath against the evildoer. And God is pouring out judgments and striking fear in their heart. But that same mighty power of God, that same mighty power of God that strikes fear in the heart of his opponents is a comfort and a source of strength to those who are his people. He is a God who rescues and delivers, and he can rescue his people from near-death experiences. That is the purpose of this particular text. It emphasizes that our God is revealed in His glory, and yet this God's appearance is hidden. You notice how verse 9 and verse 11 associate darkness with His presence. For in all His glory, this God cannot be seen, but what can be seen is enough to encourage us to be faithful. And to discourage us from disobeying Him. In Exodus 18 in verse 5, when God divided up the waters of the Red Sea and then caused the Red Sea to come back down upon the Egyptians and drown them, the text tells us that this happened at the blast of God's nostrils. Exodus 15, verse 8. And it's at the blast of God's nostrils that he does this in verse 15, Psalm 18. And my point here, it's as if the psalmist is receiving a personal rescue and deliverance and a defeat of his foes comparable to the Exodus. The Lord is mighty to save. He sent from on high, verse 16 says, He took me, He drew me out of many waters. Now he's on the battlefield fighting for his life, but he pictures it as sinking in the water, and God draws him out. By the way, that word drew him out is only used three times in the Old Testament. Here, the parallel passage in 2 Samuel 22, and in Exodus 2 and verse 10 of Moses being drawn out of water. God rescues. God delivers he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, from those who were too mighty for me. Notice how David describes his foes in verse 7. He describes his foes as being his strong enemy, those who hated him, those who were too mighty for him. His foes are strong. His foes are, are mighty. 
But as mighty as they are, David's God is stronger. He is mightier. He can defeat them. David can't, but the Lord can. And in verse 18, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. This word translated stay in the New American Standard in Psalm 18, verse 18, is only used here in the parallel in 2 Samuel 22, verse 19, and three times in Isaiah 3, verse 1. The only five times this word is used in the Old Testament. Those three times it's used in Isaiah 3 and verse 1, it is translated supply. In the New American Standard Bible, it talks about the supply of bread. It talks about the supply of water. It talks about the things that we need for life. But the Lord was his supply. The Lord was his stay. The Lord was his stronghold in the day of his trouble. In verse 19, he, God, brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I struggled with the thoughts of how I would complete Psalm 18 in one episode, and I decided that I would do it in two. Lord willing, the second episode will be soon to follow. I appreciate you listening, and more importantly, I appreciate the fact that you're moved by God's words, and that leads you to listen. May we find our God to be our deliverer, our strength, our refuge in the day of trouble. May the Lord bless you.